The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. The buzz on the street, well, this may sound like a joke, but it's not really. Have you heard the one about... About? About what? Well, about five generations of workers walk into an office, the same office. Well, let me tell you what we're talking about. At no other time in recorded business history have leading organizations had five unique generations working together with digital natives on one end. I call that the bookend on one side and the change averse retirement eyeing baby boomers on the other end and three generations in between. Come on, you've heard us talk about this over and over and over again here on this Changing the Game with HR series, as well as many of our other Game Changers series, including our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. It comes up all the time because it's real. So here's a news flash. HR, we're talking to you. HR, CHRO, HCM professional, whatever you call yourself, you need your mindset to shift and you need to do it soon. Why? Well, you may still be married to a one-size-fits-all status quo approach, and you need to move that mindset. You need to shift it. Look at the reality. See what you're dealing with. See this wonderful, wonderful collection of talent working hopefully well side-by-side in your organization, whether they're full-time inside, whether they're contractors, whether they're part-time, whether they're seasonal. They're all working together, and you need to find policies and practices that will leverage their talent and support the full spectrum of your workforce. Why? Because they have strengths. They have needs. They have lifestyles. If you want to optimize their value for your organization, you need to embrace all of that and treat them respectfully as a very varied workforce. So now we go back to my opener. Did you hear the one about five generations of workers walk into an office? Yep, now you understand what it is. We have a superb panel of thought leaders today to help us talk about this, figure it out, give you hopefully some good insights insights and tips, maybe some best practices, if if that's a term you like, on how you can cope with it. Let me just tell you who our panelists are, and then we will get started. So first up, I will be welcoming in a moment Susan Steele. She's an executive partner in IBM's Global Talent and Engagement Center of Excellence. She has held Chief HR Officer, Chief Learning Officer, and Chief Recruitment Officer roles at WPP, Deloitte, and Linklaters. And we'll be welcoming Susan in a moment. We're delighted to have her joining her on the 
panel today is Harriet Minter. She's a journalist, a speaker, and a women in leadership advocate who founded and edited the Guardian's Women in Leadership section, and she's a columnist for Psychology's magazine. Also thrilled to have Harriet on board. And rounding out the panel is somebody who has not been on Game Changers for way too long. It's Dr. Gabriella. We call her Gabby Berlaku. She's an indu- she's not Dr. Gabby now. It wasn't before. She's an industrial organizational psychologist working as a human capital management researcher at SAP SuccessFactor. That's a power-packed panel. I never said that before, but it sounds really good. Let me introduce Susan Steele in just a second. Susan sent me a wonderful quote from Thomas J. Watson. For our younger listeners around the world, that might not ring a bell. Well, think about his last name, Watson. Yes, I know, the supercomputer. Think about Jeopardy. Thomas Watson Sr. lived from 1874 to 1956. He was an American businessman, the chairman and CEO of... IBM, International Business Machines, who oversaw the company's growth into an international force from 1914 to 1956. A leading self-made industrialist, he was one of the richest men of his time and was called the world's greatest salesman when he died in 1956. I'm not going to read you his whole bio, but I would suggest any of you out there who want to know more about the originator of that wonderful name, Watson, go to Wikipedia and put in Thomas J. Watson, and you will read an amazing story about everything that went wrong in this man's life and how he turned it into everything that went right. Just fascinating. So here's the quote Susan has selected from Thomas J. Watson. Good design is good business. Susan Steele, how are you? Welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Glad to have you on board. Yeah, talk to me. This quote I chose because really for me, good design is really at the heart of everything that most organizations need to consider about the five generations in the workplace. Now, especially when it comes to design thinking and really being able to craft a great experience for every employee, regardless of age or background, design thinking plays a, a really critical role. So for me, it's, it's very much the, the secret sauce. And as we look at how to create a compelling employee experience, which I think is, is pretty much the holy grail for most companies around the world, design plays such a critical role. So for me, good design is good business. And I love that quote. I do, too. Very, very interesting. Susan, let's just reflect back in a moment before I bring in Harriet with her quote. Reflect back on my opening, five generations of workers walk into an office. And by the way, we have to do a shout out and a nod to Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP, who came up with the topic and the abstract for this opening. Thank you, Patty. Um, Do you think that most HCM, HR, CHRO, human resources, we'll just use that term in general, specialists and professionals today from the C-suite on down, do you think they are all either grappling with five generations currently in their workforce or they know it's coming soon? Is there any major enterprise that doesn't have this scenario right now? Susan? So in my experience, this is a, a key headache for leaders, not only HR leaders, but, but business leaders. And in fact, a recent survey that I saw said that something like um, 80% of companies are unprepared to manage this complex multi-generational workforce. So even if it's not already happening in your organization, chances are it will be happening. And it's interesting that many organizations are still feeling unprepared. So I think it is a real issue and one that's 
probably only going to increase in complexity. Thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate the perspective. I had to ask because the assumption is, in a way, uh, Patty, it's, uh, Patty Fletcher, I'm talking to you. It's almost like a joke. Hey, do you hear the one about five generations walked in? So they all walked in at the same time, and we know that is not the case. The boomers may be walking in, but maybe the millennials were there first. Maybe the greatest generation, whoever they are in, generation X and Y in the middle. It doesn't really matter who got there. They're all there. Thank you, Susan, for the great level setting. And now let's welcome our second panelist. She is Harriet Minter. As I mentioned, she's a women in leadership advocate who edit. She founded and edited the Guardian's Women in Leadership section, and so much more. Harriet has brought me a wonderful quote, equally wonderful quote from Gloria Steinem's book, My Life on the Road. Gloria Steinem, who is still very much alive and kicking, as the expression goes, born in 1934, is an American feminist, journalist, and social and political activist who came to national recognition as a leader and spokeswoman woman for the feminist movement. Aha! Those. Those people in the late 1960s and early 1970s, she was a columnist for New York Magazine and a founder of Ms. Magazine, MS. That's when we were allowed to get rid of the R in Mrs. And we didn't have to call ourselves Miss. We call ourselves Ms. In 1969, her article... After Black Power, Women's Liberation brought her to national fame as a feminist leader. And by the way, she, Jane Fonda, and Robin Morgan co-founded the Women's Media Center to make women more visible and powerful in the media. Here's the quote Harry has selected. Very interesting. Listen up. We've begun to raise daughters more like sons, but few have the courage to raise our sons more like our daughters. Amen. Harriet Minter, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. We are delighted. Talk to me. Are you a big fan of Gloria Steinem? And how did you pick the quote for our topic today? So I am a huge fan of Gloria Steinem, and I picked the quote for kind of two reasons. So the first is, as you mentioned, she was born in 1934, and she is still an active and leading light on the feminist scene today. So she is actually one of those kind of a different generation working with a much younger generation. So she's kind of living this five generations walk into a company situation at the moment. So that was really interesting to me. But the other thing, and the reason I loved this quote, is because... What it talks about is how we highlight and segregate differences. And Mm -hmm. so we pick one group of people and we focus on them and we say, well, what we need to do is make that one group of people more like another group of people. And we'll shift their thoughts, shift their thoughts, shift their points of view and try and get them into this kind of cookie cutter mold. But what we actually also need to be doing is saying, okay, well, what are those other skills that they have that we could then teach to other people. And so when you look at that quote, it does look like, on the surface, like a quote about gender. But for me, it's also a quote about age. It's a quote about people who work in different manners. It's a quote about race, about sexuality, about any type of difference, and trying to understand how we blend those things together. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Harriet. And when let, let's just dissect this for a moment before we bring Gabby on. Uh, if you have the courage to raise our sons more like our daughters, what, what soft skills, what styles, what communication habits perhaps, or what, uh, shall I say, pathos or empathy skills, I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, would she be saying the daughters have that the sons should be also introduced to or asked to embrace? What's your thought on that? 
I think it's not just about characteristics and skills that we associate with particular genders, but it's also about giving those genders the opportunities that the other one has. So just as we now give girls the opportunities to kind of succeed in the workplace that we only gave um, boys before, we should also be giving boys the opportunity to be more involved in raising their families, to be carers, to nurture, to embrace those kind of um, characteristics, but also lifestyles that we more commonly associate with women. And for me, what we also need to think about when we talk about that is actually what then are those kind of stereotypes that we're applying to people that maybe aren't right for them? So a really common one when we talk about um, generations and age is that we say older generations aren't digital. So we need to bring in younger people so that we have those digital skills. But actually what we know is that really the best digital skills are skills that people have had for centuries. They're still about communication. They're still about community building. They're still about understanding how to give people um, solutions to problems. And so it's about actually helping generations reframe their thinking rather than saying this particular skill set belongs to this particular type of person. Thank you very much. Very well spoken. I just have to mention, Harriet, that uh, Gloria Steinem's book, My Life on the Road, reflects that every fall her father packed the whole family into the car and drove across the country in search of their next adventure. So she spent a lot of her life actually on the road as a journalist, activist, and speaker. Very, very interesting. A lot of interesting stories. Another one to look up. I'm sure there are plenty of books in addition to this one people can read and find out more about uh, Gloria. Thank you so much. And now let's welcome our third panelist. She's coming back on Game Changers. been way too long. It's now Dr. Gabriella Gabby Berlacu. I'll spell her last name, B-U-R-L-A-C-U. There's a hard C in there. And she has sent me a quote from Victor Hugo, or I should say in French, Victor Hugo, Hugo, French author and playwright from the 1800s. You know him, linked to his wonderful Les Miserables. I think it's still on Broadway. And Hunchback of Notre Dame. He lived from 1802 to 1885. He was a French poet, novelist, and dramatist of the Romantic Movement, and he was considered one of the greatest and best-known French writers anywhere. He wrote poetry, Les Contemplations and La Légende des Siècles, our highest in critical esteem. And outside of France, we know him from Notre Dame de Paris, 1831, in English translated to The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Les Mis, 1862. So let's just leave it there. And here is the quote Gabby has selected. This is really fascinating. Listen up. I've got some math in here for all of you. Forty is the old age of youth. 50, the youth of old age. (laughs) I love that, Kathy. I'm sorry. Uh, I want to change the numbers a little bit because of me, but I'll go with these. How are you, Gabby? I'm doing great. How are you, Bonnie? I'm well, thank you. I'm not, not going to tell too much age information but here, but I thought this quote was fabulous. So tell me, five generations of workers walk into an office. Again, shout out, and I know Patty Fletcher is listening on the line. Uh, how did you pick this very interesting quote about our multi-generation workforce, Gabby? So first of all, I love this quote as well. I think it is a little bit humorous, but a little bit true when it comes to this issue. So first, I want to take a step back and qualify. Why am I talking about age when what we're talking about is generations? And what is the difference in the workplace? So obviously, age and generation are really, really correlated, right? And to some extent... Today, at this point in time, business leaders don't really care whether differences in values, motivations, characteristics across employees are due to age or due to generations. Um, employee A is the age he is, and he belongs to the generational category he belongs to. Employee B is the age she is, she belongs mm-hmm. to the generational category. And the differences between them are the differences between them. 
Where the distinction really starts to matter is when you look over time, because if we assume that people are different because of generations, what we are saying is that your millennial employees are always going to be different in terms of their preferences, values, characteristics, how they approach their work from your baby boomers. Whereas age differences suggest that over time, as your millennials are developing, growing, aging, they are going to start to look more like your baby boomers in terms of those interests, preferences, values. And by and large, research really shows that that is the case, that that is the case. for many of these preferences. It is age-associated rather than specific generational differences. Now, coming back to the quote... Um, as you said, this is some basic math, right? Age is an objective indicator. Some numbers are just bigger than others. But in the <laughs> workplace, there is tremendous opportunity for perception to work its way in. People's age influences how we perceive their work, their contributions, their potential to develop. Our own age really influences how we see our own work. And unfortunately, for quite a few age groups, that can be pretty restrictive and pretty negative. So the good news is, as this quote illustrates, um, perceptions are malleable. They can change. And I think as we're facing an increasingly age-diverse, generation-diverse workforce, they're going to have to. Very, very interesting. Um, yes, they say it's only a number, Gabby, but we live with those numbers. We sometimes wear them like a banner on our forehead or on the back of our sweatshirt oh, yes. when we don't, e- don't even realize it, can't get away from it. And uh, yes, very, very interesting. Good, good comments as well. Susan Steele, I'm going to circle back to you. We want to get a little bit personal here. This segment of the show is called What's in Your Cup Today? We want to know where are you calling from and what's your favorite drink that you're drinking right now during the show or what are you planning to imbibe. Oh, I've never used that word on the air before. What are you planning to imbibe later on after we're done? Susan Steele, talk to me. Okay, well, I am drinking a nice mug of very hot black coffee, but what's interesting is what is on the mug. So, my mug is a zombie mug, and you may say, hmm, what does that have to do with this topic? <laughs> well, yep. Yep. Um, many moons ago, when I was a college student, I had the privilege of being in one of the original zombie films, Dawn <gasps> of the Dead. And so um, when I hark back to my sort of earlier millennial period, um, it was as a zombie. And uh, so that just makes me smile. So that's on my desk uh, filled with some nice coffee. Well, tell me, what role did you play? Would I'm afraid I to a, ask. I was a teenage zombie. <laughs> How did you get a part in that kind of a movie, Susan Steele? That's interesting. <laughs> well, I um, happened to be in the right place at the right time and uh, got cast as a zombie. Wow. Okay. We'll just leave it at that. Very interesting. As I say, you never know who you're speaking to. I know I ended with a preposition, but you'll forgive me. That is fascinating. Do you put that in your resume whenever you apply for a job, or is that just you're just no, sharing that with me? One of those things when when people say find out one thing people most people don't know about you. That's usually it. <laughs> Well, I think that's enough. That's very interesting. You are so brave. That's a very interesting talking point. And now we'll move on to Harriet Minter. Harriet, I know you're ta- calling from the UK today. Where are you? What time is it? And what's in your cup today? So I'm calling from London today, and it's 20 past 7 in the evening here. Um, so in my cup today, I actually have two cups on my desk at the moment. So I have one, which is a big glass of water. Um, I never drink enough water, and I realized that 
just before we started the show that I had a very dry mouth and I was going to be talking for an hour, so I needed some water. And then the other one, which kind of relates to Gabby's point about us all essentially becoming more and more like the generation before us as we age, is I do have waiting for me at the end of the show. I promise I'm not drinking it now. Um, <laughs> quite a large gin and tonic, which was basically my mother's favorite evening wind down as well. So one gin and tonic on a Thursday or Friday night, and it's a little habit that has now been passed to me as well. So that's waiting for me at the end of the show. I think that's lovely. We have had guests admit to adding some spirits to their coffee on the show, but you you can stay. You can stay as high and dry as you want. Thank you very much. That's charming. I, I appreciate what your mother enjoyed, and I think it's great, too. Do you have a, a favorite kind of a gin you like, Harriet? Um, so I am not at all a gin snob. I like Gordon's, which is very basic British, and that is, again, because that was what I was brought up with in my family. That's what we all drink. But actually, there's a massive gin revolution going on in London at the moment where all these little pop-up distilleries are appearing around the city. And there's actually one at the end of the road that I'm on at the moment. So I should probably try and expand my gin horizons a little bit. Gin horizons. I've never heard that, and I think it's great. (laughs) Gabby, (laughs) I'm not going to ask you to top those two stories. I wouldn't dare, but knowing you, you just might. So Gabby Berlaku, Gabby, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? Bonnie, I am in Portland, Oregon, and it's so funny. I have This is my third time on SAP Radio, which is wonderful, and I'm very familiar with the What's in Your Cup segment. And mm-hmm. every time I say to myself, this is the time I'm going to have some amazing drink that's going to inspire the masses, it's going to be so interesting, without fail, every single time I wind up with a boring black coffee designed to keep me awake instead of designed for enjoyment. I will say that today, though, my coffee is iced. That's a nod to the beautiful Portland, Oregon weather we're having. I'm glad it's beautiful. I don't know if you remember, Gabby. I lived in Eugene for, oh, my goodness, 1974 to 1984. Did I ever tell you that? I lived in Eugene, Oregon. Yes, you did. That's right. Also beautiful area. Yes, and how is Portland? It's still alive and well, the zoo and the Japanese gardens, and uh, is Rose's Bake Shop still there with the 14-inch high cakes in the window, or are they gone? I believe so, and you've basically listed all of our attractions, <laughs> so it is alive and well. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad funny. to hear it. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm glad it's beautiful weather. Yes, I'm here in New York on the North Shore of Long Island, and as Gabby may remember, but Harriet and Susan don't have a clue, and Patty knows this, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Oh, I wonder why. So I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug, and I have a green straw today. And the green straw is in celebration of the bottom line of companies that understand all of the value to be had, all of the value to be extracted from this five-generation workforce that just miraculously has walked into the office all at the same time. So we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Susan Steele at IBM, Harriet Minter at Harriet Minter, and Gabby Berlaku at SAP Success Factors are going to join me in a very spirited roundtable, and we're going to talk about what is going on with this multi-generation workforce and why HR, CHRO, HCM, specialists, experts, professionals, the whole team needs to move away from the one-size-fits-all status quo approach and embrace policies and practices that let and support the full spectrum of workforce talents, strengths, needs, and lifestyles. Amen to that. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP SuccessFactors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. Indeed, we are changing the game with HR, and the message here is that HR needs to change the game and be part of the strategy and the strategic leadership of the organization, regardless of the size, regardless of the footprint, regardless of your industry, and regardless of where you are in the world. We're talking today with Susan Steele at IBM, Harriet Minter, a women's leadership advocate, and Dr. Gabby Burlaku at SAP Success Factors. And we're going to start the roundtable now with some notes from Susan Steele. Let me look in the notes and see. Here's where we're going to start. Susan told me, very interesting, some research here. Susan told me in her notes before the show, and I quote, IBM research shows that the millennial mindset, and she puts that in quotes, millennial mindset transcends age. Employees in each generation want the same things. And I'm going to let Susan expand that and tell us, what do we all want, Susan? What's important? Go ahead, Susan Steele. So this was the interesting part of the research, that uh, contrary to, to what a lot of people think, that millennials are very different, um, that um, they have unique needs and therefore very different in the workplace, our research showed that really we're all pretty much the same when it comes to the workplace in terms of some of the big things that are most important for us. So some of those things are, not surprisingly, we want tools and technologies to help us work and, and be our best. We're looking for a workplace that's innovative and collaborative. We want to be in businesses that delight their customers, whether they're internal customers or external customers. Mm-hmm. And we all want great leaders, inspirational leaders, who are invested in um, our engagement and our development. So not surprisingly, these really transcend the generations and form a sort of collective glue, a connective tissue that um, binds us together regardless of, of age or background. So, Bonnie, that's, that's what I found interesting about this, that actually turns out we're, we're a bit more similar than, than different. Susan, that probably flies in the face of a lot of the press going on about how lazy and how awful and self-centered the millennials are. I'm going to bring I'm going to bring Harriet Minter into this. Harriet, talk to me about the top very provocative information that Susan Steele just introduced. Go ahead, Harriet. What do you think? 
Um, I don't think it is disruptive. I think it's common sense. We do want, you know, we do all want the same things. We do want kind of innovative leadership. We do want kind of to feel that we're making a difference, that we're part of something bigger. Um, but I think what happens is that organizations are behaving in a way which actually sort of cuts down on those wants and desires that teaches mm. us to expect less and to ask for less. Um, and so we become conditioned to accept that actually those are things that we're not going to have. So we might want them, but we've accepted they're not going to be part of our working lives. And what happens as we go further and further up the ranks is people start to recruit in their own image. So if somebody's recruiting for a role beneath them, they'll be looking for somebody who shares their outlook. And if they've been conditioned to think, mm, I don't think I'm going to get those things that I want, they're not going to want somebody who's vibrant and wants to change things and really wants to make a difference. They're wanting somebody who's going to accept the status quo. And so we carry on in the same way. And we're almost kind of breathing out the mm -hmm. desire for change and those kind of classic millennial, quotes, values that do go across every generation but get pushed out of bigger corporates. Very interesting. Uh, yes, people do, I imagine, recruit in, well, not only people who are like them, but people they think they can get along with. Harry, you agree with that? Because you spend so much time at work, even if you're virtual versus physically present in the same office or the same campus. You have to spend so much time in your life with these people. It may as well be someone you think you have a chance of getting along with, agreeing with some of the time. What are your thoughts on that before we bring Gabby into this? I do think that's true. I think we look for people who we think are going to be a great culture fit, who we think we'll be able to mm -hmm. work with. Um, but I suspect that what we need to be doing is actually teaching people to take bigger risks around that. So most human beings can find a point of agreement as something that they can understand, that they share, you know, that we have all had very similar human experiences. So when we're able to share those with each other, we can connect. Um, so I think it's about encouraging people to look beyond the surface so let, let's not look for somebody who's exactly like you. Let's maybe take the time to work with somebody who might be initially a bit more challenging, but longer term is going to create a more interesting and potentially different workplace. And let's embrace that change rather than seeing it as something that's scary or that we should shy away from. Thank you, Harry. A good point. And, and I'd like to come back to that later in the show and get everybody's thoughts on how we get to retrain or re-mindset, re-retrofit or re, I don't know, retool the mindset of HR who is, is setting the culture, I believe, and setting the pace. We'll talk about that later. I want to bring in Gabby Berlaku. Gabby, very interesting thoughts on the table. Started with research at IBM from Susan Steele and added on to by Harriet Minter. What are your thoughts? Well, I absolutely love the findings from the IBM study because that mirrors a lot of what I've seen in the research. And I know um, even uh, SAP research done in conjunction with Oxford a couple of years ago found something similar, that we really have more similarities across these different age groups, across these different generations, than we have differences. Um, one thing I do want to add, a layer I want to add to this because I think the perception among business leaders is really that one of the reasons millennials are so scary and so different is because they've had access to advanced technology, sophisticated solutions their entire lives. Therefore, mm -hmm. they come to expect those in the workplace. And it's a big fear of how do we, you know, get our technology up to place, up to a place where it will really engage millennials. 
And what's interesting about this is that what the academic research shows is that it's not as much just inherent knowing and expecting technology, but it's really an issue of comfort with technology, of which millennials may have more of, right? But we're Mm -hmm. not born with this comfort with technology. This is something that we can develop over time. So that is what is perceived as being a huge difference across the generations that can actually be developed in older generations to get everyone on the same page in terms of the technologies they use, the technologies they're comfortable with, and the technologies they expect. Very well put. Thank you very much, Gabby. I'm going to circle back briefly to Susan Steele at IBM. Susan, we've had some interesting comments added on to your topic here from Harriet Minter and Gabby. Why don't you share with us? Do you want to wrap this one up? And what do you think? Anything you want to agree or disagree with or expand before I move on to something from Harriet's notes? Go ahead. Well, one thing I'd, I'd observe is this point of view as articulated by IBM's chief HR officer, Diane Gerson, that. It's the millennial perspective, and I think Gabby's comment about the comfort level with technology is an example of that, perhaps. But the millennial perspective has really shaped all of our perspectives. You know, we all want things a bit more customized for us. We all want a great experience at work. And so, funnily enough, I think we've all sort of morphed more towards that millennial mindset over time than than perhaps we realize. And I think we're seeing the same uh, with with technology as well, to, to Gabby's point. Thank you very much. And I'm looking at Harriet Minter's notes. Now, Harriet, such interesting things in your notes, and I know a couple of them we've already talked about. Uh, we brand millennials as lazy or entitled without asking why they see the world as they do. I think I'm going to move to... Um, here, I think I want to move to your last major comment here, Harry. You can blend in whatever you want into this. You say, a company's purpose doesn't just define its culture anymore. It defines who will work for you and how hard they will work. This is a big statement. Harriet, why don't you break this down for us? I'd like to know more. So I think what I'm saying within that is that actually we are talking about a world now where particularly for a millennial or a younger generation, um, they're coming into a world where they're actually quite concerned about their employment opportunities. So they're worried about job security. They're worried about how they secure their first job. They're worried that there simply won't be space for them in the workforce. However, this hasn't meant that they've become less picky about who they work for. Instead, it's Mm -hmm. actually meant they've become more picky. So they're more concerned about actually not just what does this company do, but what is its impact What is its impact on me, on the world around me, and on the world at large? Because they have decided they don't really want to be part of a corporate culture that, in a lot of ways, has let them down before they've already started. So they're kind of blaming that scarcity on jobs on a mentality that was around before them, which they're seeing as a kind of greed is good mentality. And instead, they've decided they want to go and work for companies which have a greater purpose who are mission-led, and whether that be kind of Google or Facebook or um, charities or organizations which generally just feel like they have a bigger purpose. Um, And I think what this means for companies then is that in a a kind of talent war, you are going to lose out unless you too can really show what your purpose is and how that purpose affects your culture. So actually, are you living your values? Are you really articulating them and bringing them down through the whole of the organization? If you talk about um, wanting to be environmentally sustainable, are you doing that at every level? If you talk about embracing diversity, is that what it feels like when you're working in that company? 
because millennials don't really don't want to put up with it if it's not. They're in this horrendous position where they're kind of terrified of not having a job, but also not happy working for something which they don't really feel reflects them and reflects their values. The flip of that is, if you can get your culture right, if you can really understand what your purpose is and how you articulate it to your employees, you gain this massive loyalty and this higher level of productivity and employees who want to stay with you and grow with you for the longer term. And I think that is going to be the really interesting thing for organizations going forward is how do they do that. Thank you very much. I'm going to bring Gabby into this, Dr. Gabby Berlaku. And Gabby, when you're done talking about this, I'd like to know what in your preparation as an industrial organizational psychologist, Dr. Gabby, um, what prepared you for, for this kind of a conversation? But why don't you comment on what Harriet just added, please? Well, I absolutely love this. I think it is so true. And in today's increasingly social world, um, we can clearly see the companies that are quote-unquote, getting this right versus those that aren't. It's very, very easy for an organization's reputation to precede it in the job hunt these days. Um, one of the concepts in industrial organizational psychology that I think really nicely fits here is something called age diversity climate. And by the way, age diversity really is what we're talking about. I think a lot of organizations mm-hmm. don't necessarily look at it that way. They think of, oh, we need to engage millennials, failing to realize that we need to engage everyone and consider how they interact, right? So it's another diversity construct. Um, and age diversity climate really focuses on the extent to which the company is respectful of people of different ages, wants to bring them in, wants to fully leverage their talents. And this can be a reputational component, a company that doesn't really provide uh, opportunities for employees of a certain age. These types of things get found out. And so I think it's not just about millennials being attracted. It's about uh, employees of all ages knowing that they may not get the kinds of opportunities they want if they um, apply for jobs at certain companies. And we are seeing that more and more. We are seeing companies suffering as a result of failing to create equity in these kinds of opportunities. Very interesting. Age diversity. Love the term. Uh, I think I'm an example. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost on the leading edge of boomers. And here I am running 13 live business radio shows for a company as big as SAP, getting to talk to thought leaders like the three of you and, and, and hundreds and hundreds every year on these shows uh, because I stepped out of the box and said, let me do this. And SAP said, okay, and didn't look at my birth date. And I, I can't tell you what a privilege it is to be here doing this and not having to say, oh, but how old am I? So that's just a little a little aside there. Susan Steele, love to bring you in on the conversation. Harriet started and Gabby added so eloquently, too. Go ahead, Susan. What are your thoughts? Well, I think with age diversity, what's increasingly interesting, and we see this in many organizations, is that now with um, data analytics, we can go behind the scenes. So we don't have to look at age as an um, indicator of anything. We can get under the surface. So, for example, if we want to know who has skills doing X or Y or who has experience doing something or living and working in a certain part of the world, for example, or doing a certain role, we can go with analytics below the surface and we don't only have to look at somebody based on their age. Because it may be that the best person for a project with the right skills and experience is uh, a baby boomer who's got, you know, 30, 40 years experience under their belt. Um, but through analytics, we can quickly track down who's got the best skills 
for what we need. And we no longer have to use age as the barometer for experience, um, you know, good or bad. So I think, I think it changes the game a bit. And I think it actually fosters what Gabby mentioned about the um, age diversity climate. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle back to Harriet. You started this. Harriet, you want to tie this one up? Any thoughts on what your co-panelists just shared, please? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Gabby's point that it is, it's not just a kind of point of understanding who's working for you, but also kind of your reputation and how people will see you is so important. Um, there's a big movement in the UK at the moment around female returners, which is about getting women who left the workplace after they had children back into the workplace, but at a level that is appropriate for them. So not actually bringing them back and expecting them to go into grad level schemes, but saying, Do you know what, you were at director level before, how can we get you back in at director level or something very similar to it, again, despite having had two, five, ten years out of the workplace. Um, and that started really as a kind of promotional thing for these employees. You know, they were doing it because they were like, well, it's a nice to do. But the effect has been to bring in people with huge skills, with great diversity, who've been doing something very different for a while, and really kind of boosting the energy within that workplace. And so it's a double, it's a double win, and I think we need to keep explaining that and keep emphasizing it. Thank you very much. I'm looking at Gabby's notes here, and Gabby, a lot of good stuff you told me. Gabby, before I pick one of your topics, why don't you tell us what was involved in your degree, your industrial organizational psychologist degree, because you're now Dr. Gabby. So what what about this topic did you have to study or learn or, or dive into, Gabby? That is a great question. So I did look at uh, age issues in the workforce, and it's so funny. My work started out as generational differences, and the point I made at the beginning of this session, um, uh, you know, that a lot of it is due to age rather than generation is what ended up influencing my research. So for my dissertation, I looked at the effects of having a manager younger than yourself um, because mm-hmm. that represents a non-normal situation now, but it's really increasingly happening for a number of reasons. Um, older workers are staying in the workforce longer. Um, you know, millennials may have certain skills that allow them to climb the corporate ladder a little bit more quickly. Older workers may be coming back to work post-retirement. That's a trend we're really seeing. And so more and more, we're seeing these non-normal sort of supervisor employee situations. And I was looking at the influence of these non-normal situations on how do you respond to performance feedback. Do you brush it off and say, hey, this manager is young, they don't know what they're talking about, or do you really take it to heart? And unfortunately, I didn't find anything very interesting in my uh, particular study, but Mm -hmm. I I do believe still, (laughs) despite what the little results I got, that this is something that influences how people work and how they see their manager. Thank you very much. Good good to know that. And uh, Gabby, how long did it take you to get this uh, degree? Is this a PhD are we looking at or what degree is this? It is a PhD. So it took just under five years and a lot, a lot of help from um, some of the other students in the program, some of the professors. And I have to say somewhat embarrassingly that actually I've had this degree since before I ever appeared on SAP radio. But as I develop in my career, Ah. I'm only now starting to actually stick it on my name. (laughs) So it looks new, but it's actually not. 
Well, that's good news, and that's good news, and you should have brought it to the table a long time ago. We're delighted to now call you Dr. Gabby. My goodness gracious. Now, Gabby, I'm looking at your notes here, and uh, just an interesting point. I'll just mention this. Maybe we won't delve into it. We Yeah, we have about six minutes before we go to our predictions round. You say companies are really focused on millennials, but the reality is we've been employing people ages 20s and 30s for a long time. What we haven't done in the past is employed people in their 70s and 80s and beyond. So the reality is we've always employed young people with their habits and with their preferences and with their lifestyles and with their expectations, which have certainly shifted because when we talk about today's today's millennials, they don't fit what we, I believe, have observed previous younger generations have. You want to just comment on this briefly, Gabby, and then I I think I'm going to pick one more topic here from your notes and have you and the other ladies comment. Go ahead, Gabby, just quickly. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I think you can tell I'm a little bit frustrated when companies focus their efforts entirely on engaging millennials and attracting millennials, although that's a very common thing that organizations do. It's sort of missing the mark because the perception that this is a brand new thing we've never dealt with before is not really correct. But on the other end of the spectrum, there is something brand new that we've never dealt with before, and that's people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s staying in the workforce. And what organizations may not realize is that's actually an age group that they want to engage and retain. So why would they want to engage and retain these people? First and foremost, there's significant research evidence that shows they actually have quite an impact on your workforce. Um, Some studies were done that shows that in some industries, performance of older workers actually exceeds that of younger workers. Um, Second most, tremendous institutional knowledge that if they leave, they're walking away with, have to find some way to capture that. In the absence of finding some way to capture that, you've got to keep them. And third, there is increasing evidence that shows that they aren't leaving (laughs) for whatever the purpose may be. So sometimes it's due to economic pressures that force older workers to continue working. Sometimes there's that bridge employment. So the idea that they don't fully retire, but maybe they take on more of a part-time role or um, something a little bit easier before they fully step back from the workforce. And third, of course, there are many older individuals who derive great meaning and satisfaction from work. So the idea is, if they are staying and collecting a salary in your organization, it is a tremendous missed opportunity not to focus on how you can get the best from them. Thank you very much. And now where I really wanted to go, appreciate that, uh, you say when we talk about the generations interacting with each other, we tend to think of them as employees interacting laterally. And for so many reasons, this is not an accurate picture of what's happening. Why don't you give me a one-minute comment on this, and then I want to hear what Susan Steele and Harriet Minter have to say. Go ahead, Gabby. So this was related to that dissertation topic, right? The idea that it's not just that we have teams composed of different generations, different ages. It's that we've got reporting relationships composed of different ages and different generations. And what does that do? Because that's an entirely different thing. Somebody's manager is very influential in their work experience. You know the famous quote, you don't leave a company, you leave a manager. Mm -hmm. Um, Very influential in the opportunities an employee receives. And what does it do to that relationship when the employee is significantly older than the manager. Again, as I mentioned, my own research wasn't very conclusive, but there is considerable research to show that it is a shift, and there can be potentially negative outcomes unless it's really well managed. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Susan Steele, we have time for you to comment on this. What are your thoughts, any or all of what Gabby just covered? Well, one thing we're noticing is that many organizations are developing or launching millennial networks. 
And they're doing that for two things. One is to better understand what millennials think and want, but actually more importantly, to foster greater working relationships across all ages. And so um, these organizations, and we have one at IBM, the Millennial uh, Network, and I've seen them in other organizations as well, they're not only open to millennials, they're actually open to anyone with a millennial mindset, which I love. So you could be in your 80s and have a millennial mindset, but the idea is harnessing the energy and the insight of a group that really wants to make sure that an organization is adapting to the next generation and preparing a workplace where people of all ages are are comfortable working and, and want to come and work. Thank you very much. Harriet Minter, love to have your comments as well. I think it's so interesting that, as Gary says, we get caught up talking about millennials, but actually I think the people that will really change working culture will be that older generation because actually if you want to employ people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they have different needs and different expectations. Um, And a friend of mine talks about how we need to get rid of the word retirement. It doesn't have, you know, any good connotations. Are you either retiring because you've been forced to or you're retiring because you've spent 50 years hating your job and you finally get to not do it anymore? Instead, actually, what we should be thinking about is how do we give people active, involved, interesting lives, no matter what their age and what they're doing, and how do we design a workplace that allows for that? And I think when we can start to do that, then we will start to really understand how we have five different generations in an office. Well, that was a nice wrap-up with the big red bow. I appreciate that. And, Gabby, to your point about why so many of the boomers are still in the workforce, uh, some of us just adore what we do. We love coming to work. We have no reason to go away. I have many friends who retired in their 50s and 60s, and their day is just one big empty, the the word uh, tabula rasa, you know, a clean slate. And they have to figure it's like being an adult day camp. They have to figure out where do they go, what do they do, how do they have to keep from getting bored, what sport should they take up? Who should they talk to? How many times should they read their stock reports? How many hours of CNN can they stay in? How many lunches can they go to? I just think working in a job you love is the best way to keep going. And pardon me, to just go out that way with a smile. That's my philosophy, in case anybody's interested. We are ready now to go to our crystal ball predictions round. Susan Steele at IBM. I love the year 2020 just because it sounds so cool and it's coming up so soon. I'm going to let you pick how far in the future you predict. What will change? Either about five generations of workers walk into an office, meaning will there be four anytime soon? Will be there six or seven? Will we change the definition of the word generation? I don't know. Or what will change about HR's perspective and the mindset shift that we've been talking about today? So predictions, Susan Steele, 60 seconds, go. So in my crystal ball, I see a few things. Firstly, I think five generations in the workplace is going to become the new normal. That's just going to be how it is. (laughs) That's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, And I think, secondly, with that, we're going to see the emergence of retirement coaches. Now, I like Harriet's idea that we shouldn't really talk about retirement, but I think we're going to see coaches to help people ease into this next phase of their working lives, where maybe they're doing more consulting, more interim work, Mm. and help people prepare for that and do that uh, effectively. And then I think we're going to see um, different rules of engagement. I think we're going to see um, 
changes in employment contracts, for example. So we'll have fewer employees, more consultants, contractors, interim staff. And I think that increasingly we're going to see companies that actually have zero employees or very few and made up much more of a variety of consultants and advisors who step in as needed. So that's what I see in the crystal ball. Companies will have, let me get this right, companies will have zero employees. Wow, that's that's provocative. I think we could do a whole show on that in the future. Any point <laughs> in time, how far in the future do you predict that, Susan, just to be specific? We're seeing it already with some companies who have very few employees and have contractual arrangements with different suppliers and individuals. So I think we're, we're trending in that direction already. Okay, thank you very much. Good to know. Got to watch out for that one coming down the pike soon. Harriet Minter, 60 Seconds Predictions. Go. I think short term, I think we're not going to see a huge amount of change. So 2020, I think, is going to look very much like 2016. Um, but longer term, I think we might see a reemergence of a kind of greater respect for knowledge and wisdom than we have at the moment. I think at the moment we are very excited by youth and energy. Um, and I think longer term we'll start to realize that actually those older employees with that experience, with that wisdom, they have a lot more to add than we've necessarily appreciated them for at the moment. I think we're also going to see a rise in the culture of sabbaticals. I think expecting people to work for 50, 60, 70 years without a significant break somewhere within that is actually going to become almost impossible. So I think what we'll see are people doing degrees later on in life, taking three or four years out to travel and actually planning that into their career and then returning into the workforce as well. And I think that will be really interesting because we'll start to appreciate experience that isn't just necessarily the sort of experience you can put on your CV. Um, and finally, what I hope is that we see a workforce which has a greater appreciation for difference um, and that takes the time to actually really understand why, as humans, we behave in the way that we do and how we can all work together in a more collaborative and less competitive manner. Thank you. I like that. More collaborative, less competitive. Very well appreciated. Gabby Berlaku. Dr. Gabby, finally, finally coming into the light is Dr. Gabby. We appreciate that. Glad you debuted that here, Gabby. Gabby, predictions, I give you exactly 60 seconds. Go. Okay. So I see maybe a change, but not necessarily progress. So when you think about the definition of millennials, it's roughly people born between 1980, 1982, and the year 2000, right? Which means mm-hmm. in two years, the next generation, and they've been called a number of different things in the research, so I won't even try to name them here, they will be 18. Some of them will go off to college. Many of them will enter the workforce. And I predict media attention similar to what we've seen with the millennials. Oh, my goodness, this is a brand-new generation, brand-new situation we've never before had, when the truth is, really, we have. Um, so what, what I mean by change and not progress is we're going to see a resurgence of that same millennial hype and issue uh, directed toward the next generation. I think one way we will break the cycle eventually, and maybe not with this coming generation, is to really start looking at it more as an age and generation diversity topic where we're bringing other generations into the fold rather than focusing on specifically what appears to be changing in the, uh, the composition of our workforce. 
Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Harriet. And thank you to Dr. Patty Fletcher for being, she's listening and she's tweeting. My goodness, I see Harriet tweeting. I'm tweeting everybody, hashtag SAP Radio. Thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team. It's been a great conversation. Patty, I think we need to do a part two. And if you don't, I'm going to bring these ladies on Coffee Break with Game Changers and we'll move it over to our flagship series. We can't let this one go too far. And a shout out to Beth Thebalt at Deloitte, who was supposed to join us. Beth, we're glad you're safe and sound. She had a little car snafu today, but Beth is okay and couldn't join us at the last minute. And here's my call to action. Oh, you know what it is. Come on, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.